first step you must take is to translate the statement of purpose you developed in session four into what we call a sensory goal statement. As you recall, your statement of purpose was a general statement of what you would like to achieve. Your sensory goal statement is going to be much more specific. There are three main elements to the statement you are now going to write. First, it must be result-oriented. It must focus primarily on what you want to get out of your achievement. Second, your sensory goal statement must be time-specific. You must determine a point in time when your goal will be achieved. And third, it must be measurable. You must specify a criterion that lets you know when your accomplishment is complete. If you want to become a doctor, for example, your criterion might be finishing your internship and setting up your own practice. If you want to start your own business, your criterion of success might be the day you move into your own offices or hire your first employee. Having a measurable goal gives you the motivation to work towards a specific end. It also lets you measure your progress along the way and take corrective action if you're moving off target. This sense of having a concrete reality to work for, combined with an actual time frame and a result to look forward to, fuels your drive and compels you to work persistently and systematically toward the ultimate success of your endeavors. Let's quickly look at a few examples of how a statement of purpose can be translated into a sensory goal statement. Let's say your statement of purpose reads, I want to help cure disease. Your sensory goal statement might read like this. In June of 1989, I will receive a medical degree. If your purpose is to become your own boss, then your sensory goal statement might read, In January of 1987, I will open up a retail store of my own. If your purpose is to run a marathon, your sensory goal statement might read, In June of 1986, I will enter the Boston Marathon and complete the 26-mile run in under five hours. Now turn to page 29 of your study guide and look at form 6.1. There's a space there for you to write your goal statement down. Take a moment now to compose and write your sensory goal statement in the space provided. I'll pause for a minute while you do this. After writing your sensory goal statement, your next step in the sensory goal setting process is turning that statement into what we call a vision of achievement. The first way in which you're going to do this is by finding photographs in books, magazines, and newspapers that show people living, experiencing, and achieving your vision. If your vision is to become a doctor, look for photographs of a medical school graduation ceremony. Find pictures of doctors involved in research. Look at Scientific American, the New England Journal of Medicine, and similar publications aimed at doctors and scientists. If your vision is to be your own boss, find photos of people who own successful businesses. Business Week, Industry Week, and specific retail trade publications are good sources to try. If your vision is to run the Boston Marathon, make photocopies of newspaper stories about marathon winners that you can find in the library and check Runner's World and similar publications aimed at serious runners. The purpose of this exercise is to give you some concrete images to inspire your own personal images of achievement. You'll learn how to create those personal images in a few moments. Creating a vision achievement scrapbook of pictures that personally speak to you about your own desire for achievement can have a powerful effect on your motivation and drive. Devote some time today or this evening to locating these pictures, and in the future, continually be on the lookout for more. The third step in the process of developing a sensory goal requires that you make a listing of all the advantages and rewards you will experience as the result of achieving your goal. For a few minutes, close your eyes and imagine that you have already successfully realized your ambition. How is your life different because of it? What recognition have you achieved? Has it made a difference with your family and friends? Has it made an impact on other areas of your life? Are you getting up at the same time in the morning, driving the same car to work? Are you going out more in the evenings, wearing different clothes? Turn to page 31 in your study guide and in the space provided on Form 
write down every single reward you can imagine resulting from the achievement of your goal. Don't just write down the general rewards, get as specific as possible. For instance, running the Boston Marathon may greatly boost your self-confidence and increase the respect you get from family and friends. But training for it will also get you into superb physical shape, meaning you'll have more energy, more stamina, more drive. You'll look better, feel better, sleep better, and do a better job at work. Use the photographs from your scrapbook to help you identify all the rewards you can think of that are associated with your goal. And when you're finished writing them down, you'll be ready to translate them into a vision that will stimulate your emotions, provoke your desire, and incite you to positive action. Close your eyes for a few moments and imagine that you have just achieved your goal. Where are you? What do you see around you? Are you indoors, outdoors, in your own home, at the office? Who are you with? Notice every tiny detail of your surroundings, including the texture of wallpaper, the color of the sky, the faces of the people you're with, the clothes they're wearing. Pretend you're going to have to draw a picture of this scene in a moment, so you really need to focus in on every little item so as not to forget it. Now, holding that visual image before you, switch your focus to sounds. What are you hearing? Are people talking to you? Are they congratulating you? If so, what are they saying? Are you hearing the voices of your parents, your spouse, your children, your friends? Are you all watching TV, where a famous newscaster's voice is reciting the story of your achievement? Maybe there's a party being held in your honor, and you can hear music in the background. Concentrate on every single sound you can hear and differentiate. Now, let's add the sense of touch. Are people shaking your hand? Do their hands feel smooth, rough, warm, cold? Are the grips firm or slack? Are you being patted on the back, hugged by your family and friends? Is someone pulling at your sleeve to get your attention? Next, imagine the prevalent smells that are surrounding you. If you're in the middle of a celebration, can you smell the food on the buffet table? Is the fragrance of champagne wafting up from the glass you're holding? Can you smell people's perfume or cologne? Now concentrate on taste. Are you sipping that champagne you were holding a moment ago, eating hors d'oeuvres? Or is the taste of success so sweet that you don't need or want any food? Finally, what are you feeling emotionally? Pride? Satisfaction? Maybe you're feeling relief that the hardest work is behind you. Maybe you're feeling the power of your new position. Perhaps you're feeling the exhilaration that comes with knowing that having achieved what you did, you can now achieve anything. You might even be feeling humble, having come face to face with weaknesses you never knew you had during the long, hard effort to reach success. After you have awakened all of your senses to the sight, smell, taste, touch, sound, and feeling of success, turn to page 32 in your study guide and complete form 6.4, entitled, the Sensory Vision Worksheet. The four-step process we have just outlined takes you on another emotional journey that gets progressively richer, clearer, and more potent. You start with a specific statement of what you want to achieve and when you want to achieve it. Then you gather inspirational photographs of others who have achieved what you want to achieve. You imagine and list the rewards and benefits you'll experience as a result of achieving your goal. And finally, you bring these three steps together into an imaginary scenario rich in sight, sound, touch, taste, smell, and emotion. This scenario is your vision. It is the driving force behind all of your thinking and activity. The more intense and more detailed your vision is, the more emotional power it will pack. The more often you conjure up your vision, the more drive and sustaining power you'll have behind you. This drive and power will in turn enable you to develop working plans, working habits, knowledge and skills you need to achieve your goal. And it will help you to persist and persevere until it is accomplished. Now that you've imagined reaching your goal in all of its sensory detail, you're going to have the opportunity to record it on tape. Don't leave out a single sensory detail. The richer your description, 
the more powerfully it will affect your ability to keep striving to reach your goal day after day, week after week, month after month. Use as much enthusiasm as you can during your description. You should be enjoying yourself. After all, it's your vision of success you're describing. After you've finished recording, play back your description and listen to it carefully. Did you falter in places? Were there things you couldn't describe fully? Did it sound as if you didn't quite believe what you were saying? If the first version of your story doesn't satisfy you, erase it and create another one. Do this over and over until you have a version that completely satisfies you. It should be highly detailed and utterly convincing. And if, along your path to achievement, you find your goal changing shape or form, just record a new version that better fits your new goal. You're now going to learn to use this recording as part of a five-step daily plan for internalizing your vision and making it so much a part of you that it will drive you to plan, to work, to achieve, to persist. Your first step will begin early in the morning, soon after you wake up. The first thing you're going to do before going about your daily business is to review your statement of purpose, your sensory goal statement, your photographs of achievement, and your list of rewards for achieving your goal. This is not just to remind you of why you're striving for success. It's to remind you of exactly why you need to succeed. Your statement of purpose, your list of rewards, your photographs, all speak of your deep need for achievement and the ways in which it will satisfy you and enrich your life. This is what you need to awaken in yourself anew every single morning. After you've reviewed those materials, your second step is to listen to your recording of your sensory goal description. The sound of your own voice filled with enthusiasm describing the joy and pride you feel in achieving your goal will light a fire inside you that will give you the energy and stamina to persist in your efforts to reach success every single day. And during the day, as part of step three, you must take a few moments out from whatever you're doing, close your eyes, and imagine your sensory goal in all its richness and brilliance. Recall the touch, taste, smell, sight, and feel of success. Relive your emotional reactions to it. Keep the obsession to achieve burning in you all the time by remembering this vision as often during the day as possible. For step four, at night you must mentally review all the events that occurred during the day. Did you have new experiences that could help you fuel your vision and make it richer and clearer? Make another recording that reflects your new thoughts and feelings. Step 5 consists of listening once more to your sensory goal description before going to bed. And as you're falling asleep, play your sensory-rich scenario of achievement over and over again in your head. This five-step plan will refuel and reinforce your motivation for achievement and it will help to give you daily feedback on how well you're progressing toward your goal. But remember, there will be setbacks and mistakes along the way, and there will be readjustments in your thinking and planning about what you want to achieve and how you want to achieve it. You'll find yourself adjusting your course just as you adjust your steering wheel while driving on a winding road. This is to be expected because there is no effortless path to achievement. For this reason, we suggest you record your vision over again at least every two weeks. That way, it can keep pace with your daily experiences and changes in outlook. You've come a long way in this session. You've turned a general statement of purpose into a specific statement of what goal you want to achieve. You've put an achievement date on that goal. You've gathered pictures of it. And you've learned to turn it into a living, breathing vision of success that evokes the kind of strong emotions you need to sustain a long, hard effort of achievement. Now is the time to record your vision. Take your time and do it as many times as necessary until you are satisfied with the results. Remember, you're going to be listening to it twice a day, so it needs to be rich and rewarding. You may find you need several tries before you successfully record a vision that satisfies you in its richness of detail and intensity of emotion. Do as many versions as you need until you get the one that sounds just right. If your goal changes, record a new version. 
If you've reached your goal and want to pursue another, create a new vision and record it. Remember, include all the details and be as enthusiastic as possible. Now, begin your own narration of what it would look, taste, touch, smell, sound, and feel like to achieve your goal. What you can do, or dream you can do, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. These immortal words, written by the great German philosopher and dramatist Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, perfectly set the stage for what you're going to learn in this session. Here, we're going to help you turn the vision of what you want to achieve into an action plan. In Goethe's words, to boldly begin your dream. You already have the vision. You believe in it and in your potential to achieve it. Now we're going to work on a practical, step-by-step -step process through which your vision can be brought to life. For, as former United States President Theodore Roosevelt said, dreams are a dime a dozen. Everybody's got dreams. It's their execution that counts. Planning is the logical mapping out of where you want to go and how you want to get there. Seneca, the Roman philosopher, captured the importance of planning when he said, when a man does not know what harbor he is heading for, no wind is the right one. Planning helps you focus your direction and organize both your time and resources. Every moment spent in planning saves three or four in execution. In this session, you're going to learn a simple yet powerfully effective system of planning, of organizing any goal you want to achieve into logical, easy-to-visualize steps. This system is applicable to any type of task or project, from building a deck to getting a medical degree. It will help you to make short or long-range plans, organize your resources, create schedules to meet necessary deadlines, and improve your decision-making skills. It will also improve the quality of your work. While following this plan, you'll experience an increase in self-confidence and pride as you realize that you are on your way to becoming a self-disciplined achiever. Every small task in your plan that you accomplish will be living proof that you are one step closer to your goal. And as you take each step, your faith in your ability to accomplish your goal will be reinforced and expanded. In approaching the creation of a plan, it is important to keep the following basic facts in mind. First, planning is a way to look at both the whole picture and parts that make up the whole. It is a way to organize those parts in a logical and sequential way. One step should lead to another. More than that, each step you take should make the next step possible, like adding links to a chain to make a fence. We've introduced you to the concept of macro and micro achievements. The whole picture is your macro achievement. The steps you must take to achieve your macro achievement are micro achievements. If you want to build a house, a macro achievement, you must start by leveling the site and digging a foundation. Only after those steps have been accomplished can you go on to pouring the foundation, putting up the framing, putting in electricity and plumbing, finishing the walls, installing the roof, and so on. The second fact to keep in mind is that ideas take time to implement. I won't dwell at length on the subject of time now, since we're going to devote all of Session 8 to time. But I'd like to tell you a short story about a Micronesian island leader named Pielug that illustrates the kind of time and patience it takes to achieve excellence. Fifty-year-old Pielug is the most respected and powerful man in his community because he's a navigator. His grandfather had told him, if you learn navigation, you will have a name. You will eat the navigator's food. At sea, you will have more power than a chief. Pielug began learning navigation at the age of five. Using shells and pieces of coral on sand, his grandfather created models of the constellations to teach him how to chart distance and direction. Pielug learned that at the right time of year, he could simply point the bow of his canoe at the rising star to steer his course. But since the stars rise four minutes earlier each evening, the rising star changes position every day. So Pielug also had to learn the positions of the multitude of lesser stars. It took him 45 years to learn every movement of every major and minor star and constellation in the nighttime sky. But having taken the time to learn, Pielug now enjoys the respect, admiration, and status in his community that comes with being a navigator. Like Pielug, 
you must recognize that it will take time to achieve your goal, weeks, months, or years. Like Piolog, you must develop patience in learning the steps that lead to your goal. With time and patience on your side, you'll be assured of realizing your ambition. And like Piolog, you'll achieve the respect that comes with final accomplishment. A third fact to remember in creating a plan of action is that ideas take concentrated work to come to fruition. Too many people like to think that managing a project means that others do the detail work. They can simply spin out ideas like sparks from a child's pinwheel toy, leaving others to tend the fire. If you leave others to tend the fire, don't blame them if the house burns down. Admiral Hyman Rickover spent over 40 years building America's nuclear submarine fleet. Rickover himself supervised the research, design, construction, and operation of the mighty underwater craft. His reputation as an excellent manager who always got results was only equaled by his talent for engineering. Upon Rickover's retirement, he explained his philosophy of management to an interviewer. The man in charge, Rickover said, must concern himself with details. If he does not consider them important, neither will his subordinates. Yet the devil is in the details. It is hard and monotonous to pay attention to seemingly minor matters. In my work, I probably spend 99% of my time on what others may call petty details. Most managers would rather focus on lofty policy matters. But when details are ignored, the project fails. No infusion of policy or lofty ideals can correct the situation. Three basic elements to keep in mind, then, when creating an action plan. They include looking at the whole picture, taking time to complete each step before you go on to the next, and paying attention to details. A fourth point to remember is planning and the implementation of a plan is a trial and error process. You will make mistakes. Most of them will be unavoidable and will serve as springboards of learning and refinement. When you make a mistake, learn from it. Take corrective action to avoid making it again and get right back on course. Remember, supposed experts have made greater mistakes than you're going to make and have managed to turn them into creative successes. Take the Coca-Cola Company's introduction of the new Coke, for example. After spending millions of dollars on market research, and more millions of dollars marketing their reformulated soft drink, they were forced by public pressure to bring back the old formula. They made a mistake in trying to change the taste of Coke, and their marketing executives admitted it. But because of that mistake, Coke is now in a stronger marketing position than ever. The Coca-Cola Company has brought back their old formula, now sold under the name Classic Coke, and they still have their new formula on the market which was formulated to appeal to Pepsi drinkers. Was Coke's surprise move really a mistake? Nobody thinks so now. By correcting its mistake, Coke has the potential to win over an even larger share of the market than it had before. This process of self-correcting behavior is what scientists call cybernetics. The term may sound very space-age, but there's a reason for that. The organizational method you're about to learn is the same one NASA engineers used to put men on the moon. In the early 1960s, when former President John F. Kennedy ordered NASA to put a man on the moon within a decade, NASA's engineers and systems designers rose to the challenge, accomplishing the task by July of 1969. How did they do it? They took their macro objective, putting a man on the moon, and broke it down into a series of micro-objectives that would lead to the final great accomplishment. When the project started, NASA scientists and organizers immediately began preparing flowcharts, identifying each step they would have to take in order to put a man on the moon. First, they had to build a new type of rocket. Then, that rocket had to successfully orbit the Earth for longer and longer periods of time. They had to design spacesuits that would be able to protect the astronauts from the moon's atmosphere. Each step got them closer and closer to achieving their objective, until that historic day when they got the job done. You can duplicate the same process of planning simply and easily. You can apply it to any job you might be called upon to handle. We call the system of planning you're going to learn in this session Visual Network Planning. Visual 
because it helps you to look at, identify, and visualize each of the steps necessary to complete an objective. Network, because each of the steps are connected together to show how they lead to your goal. The instructions and examples that follow will show you how you can quickly and easily put the visual network planning system into immediate operation. There will be seven steps involved. First, you'll write your objective. Second, you'll break it down into major steps we call activities. Third, you'll organize the activities in logical order. Fourth, you'll design a visual network. Fifth, you'll estimate how long each activity will take to complete. Sixth, you'll determine what we call critical path and float. And seventh and last, you'll assign actual calendar dates to each activity. Don't worry about remembering all of these steps now. We'll go over them one by one with examples to help you understand them. For now, as we begin our discussion of this powerful planning system, you'll need to refer to your study guide and follow along as I explain each concept. I'll pause here for a few moments while you locate the page. First, let's discuss the four basic elements of visual network planning. Look at diagram 7.1 on page 36. The first element is what we call an activity box. An activity is a step or task that must be completed in order to achieve a goal. The name of the activity is listed in a box. One activity is linked to another activity by a line with an arrow. This linking of activities is the second element of a visual network plan. The third element is the activity's reference number. Each activity is assigned a number for the purpose of identification. The number is circled and located in the upper left-hand corner of the activity box. Any number can be assigned to an activity box, and the numbers you do assign don't necessarily have to follow in numerical order. Activity number 23 can follow activity number 15. The fourth basic element of a visual network plan is what we call duration. Each activity takes a certain amount of time to complete. That amount of time is called its duration. Duration is listed at the bottom right-hand corner of the activity box. It can be represented in minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, or years. Now let's use these elements to build a simple network, a group of linked activities that lead to a goal. Refer to diagram 7.2 on page 36. This diagram assumes that you have some hard winter wheat and a wheat grinder and you want to make some fresh, hot, whole wheat cereal. How would you develop a simple visual network plan to illustrate all of the steps you must take to end up with a bowl of piping hot cereal? Your first step would be to get a piece of paper and pencil and list your objective on the top. In this case, it would read something like, Cook whole wheat cereal from scratch. Your second step would then be to break your objective down into its major steps or activities. In this case, there are two major activities involved. The first is grinding the wheat. The second is cooking the wheat. Third, you would then put the activities into their logical order. In our example, the wheat must be ground before it can be cooked. And fourth, you would construct a visual network plan in which the two steps are placed in activity boxes with reference numbers, durations, and linked arrows. We have already developed the visual network plan for this objective in diagram 7.2. As you can see, activity number two is grinding the wheat. Activity number four is cooking the wheat. When activity number two has been completed, having taken two minutes, activity number four is ready to begin. Activity number four takes seven minutes. Reaching your goal of making a bowl of fresh, hot, whole wheat cereal takes a total of nine minutes. This simple visual network plan shows you how many activities you need to complete before your goal can be accomplished. In this case, two. And how long each activity will take. In this case, two minutes and seven minutes. The example is very elementary. If you look at diagram 7.3 on page 37, you'll see a slightly more complex visual network plan. In this case, our goal has two activities that are dependent upon the completion of one activity. Here our goal is to get both a car and a motorcycle out of a garage. Neither can be accomplished without opening up the garage door. 
Notice also that activity 5, labeled getting the car out of the garage, is independent of activity 7, labeled getting the motorcycle out of the garage. Both activities 5 and 7 can be accomplished at the same time, providing you have someone to drive each vehicle and providing the door is opened first. In this example, note that five of the seven steps of visual network planning have been completed. One, the objective has been written. Two, the major steps of the project have been identified. Three, the steps have been put into a logical order. Four, they have been organized into a visual network. Five, each activity has been assigned a time estimate for completion. Now let's examine step six the concepts of critical path and float. To help you follow along in our explanation, turn to page 38 of your study guide and look at diagram 7.4 titled Critical Path and Float. As you can see, we have expanded our visual network plan for cooking cereal to one for cooking and eating cereal. The new objective is to prepare and eat freshly ground whole wheat cereal in 15 minutes. Look at the visual network plan. You now have three separate paths that come out of activity three, grinding wheat. Going from the top down, the first path is made up of activities three, five, and 11. The middle path is composed of activities three, nine, and 11. The bottom path includes activities three, seven, and 11. Look at the three paths individually and total up the amount of time each will take. The middle path will take a total of 14 minutes to complete. The top path takes only 8 minutes. The bottom path takes 9 minutes. Look at your objective again. Your goal is to cook and eat the cereal within 15 minutes. If you are to complete your objective on time, the activities on the longest path must all be completed on schedule. The longest path on a visual network plan is known as the critical path. The activities on the critical path are called critical activities and are vital to the success of the project. The non-critical activities, those not on the critical path, can be delayed without affecting the result. These activities have what is called float. Float is the amount of time an activity can be delayed without affecting the completion of the project. In diagram 7.1, grinding the wheat, cooking the wheat, and eating the cereal take the longest amount of time and are thus on the critical path. Getting the bowls and milk can be delayed without affecting the schedule. Therefore, they both have float. Diagram 7.5 on page 39 is the visual network plan we use here at CyberVision Systems to develop our programs. Study the plan and try to determine the critical path. Which activities take the longest amount of time to complete? As you can see, activities 11, 13, and 15 are on the critical path. Activities 17 and 19, and 21 and 23, which take a total of 10 weeks to complete, have six weeks of float. Because of the amount of time it takes to complete the critical path, these activities can be delayed for six weeks without affecting the schedule. On the other hand, if any of the activities on the critical path are delayed, the whole project will be late. Identifying the critical path of your project enables you to gain control by knowing what your priorities are. You can then concentrate your efforts on getting those priority items done, letting the others float until you have time to take care of them too. The seventh step in developing a visual network plan is to assign calendar dates to each of the activity boxes. Once you're ready to commit your project to firm starting times, you must insert completion dates for all activities along the critical path. For example, if we were to begin our audio program development on January 5th, and the first activity on the critical path, developing a program idea, has a duration of one week, then the activity box showing the completion of this task would have a target date of January 12th. That date and all others on the critical path must be met in order for the project to be completed on time. A delay in finishing a critical path activity will result in the delay of the project. But critical path dates have another function besides keeping your project moving on time. These target dates also serve as guides for the float events that lead to your goal. 
you can position your float activities to coincide with your critical target dates in such a way as to complete them when it's best or easiest for you to work on them. These activities can be worked into your schedule because they can be delayed until it's most convenient for you to do them. Visual network planning works for macro goals and for micro goals. You can create one visual network plan for a macro goal, such as becoming a doctor, and create another visual network plan for getting through medical school. In diagram 7.6 on page 40 of your study guide, we've outlined a simple visual network plan for someone with a macro goal, becoming a neurologist. Each of the activities listed on this plan, which takes a total of 15 years of post-high school study, can be turned into a micro-network plan of its own. Any project that has a beginning and an end will benefit from visual network planning. Before embarking on your plan for accomplishing your macro goal, we suggest you try this organizational method out on something smaller, so you can see the results in a matter of a few hours or a few days. Apply it to a project around the house that you've been putting off for weeks, pruning your trees or repainting several rooms. This will give you a chance to get used to organizing your activities in a logical and systematic way. In using this plan, you'll learn the meaning of hard work and patience. You'll find yourself tempted to skip certain steps and leap ahead to something you feel like doing right away. But when you do go off your schedule, your project won't be completed in time and you'll begin to see how important it is to stick to dates and schedules if you want to realize any goal. Using this plan will also reward you with a sense of self-disciplined accomplishment. As you complete each task on your path to success, you can mark it off on your chart and be proud that you've done it. You'll also be able to look at your chart at various times during your project and see how far you've come. Before we go on to complete this planning session on cassette side 10, I'd like to say a final word about the planning system you've just learned. No one can be totally certain about the outcome of a string of planned events. Mistakes, unforeseen problems, and outside events over which you have no control can and will contribute to the changing of your plans. Your visual network plan is not carved in granite. It's a living, working system that must change to accommodate the changes in your life. You may underestimate the amount of time it will take you to complete an activity. You'll know better the next time. You may find that you don't need to perform a certain activity at all, giving you some breathing room in your schedule. The objective of this plan is not to give you a rigid yardstick against which to measure your success or failure. Rather, it is to give you a logical, working system for achieving your goal. In creating your visual network plan, do your best to be as accurate as possible about dates and durations of activities. But remember that things may go wrong, and you may have to change those dates. This is not an excuse to quit. It is a good reason to keep sticking to your plan, for without it, you have little chance of achieving your goal at all. Remember, to successfully realize your purpose, you must have the courage to take risks, the courage to fail, and the courage to learn from your failures. Visual network planning is a roadmap that points out your destination and suggests a way to get there. But it doesn't tell you how to take the trip. It's up to you. On the next side of this tape, you'll take the exciting step of developing your own visual network plan. And you'll write your own story of achievement in a way that brings home the power and reward of final success. Now that you've been introduced to the guidelines of effective planning, you're ready to turn your own purpose and vision into macro and micro plans. As you do, keep in mind the following suggestions. First, the instructions on how to develop a visual network plan are guidelines only, and not a rigid set of rules. Use the principles we've discussed as a guide to meet your own specific needs. Second, take the time to work at converting your goal into a visual network plan you'll probably need to come up with a number of rough versions before you arrive at your finalized plan. Don't get frustrated. The very act of planning will force you to think logically and use your creativity. More importantly, your vision will go from the abstract to the concrete, a step most people aren't able to take or don't know how to take. In developing your personalized visual network plan, 
you'll find that this system will become one of the most valuable tools you'll ever use. So study it thoroughly, familiarize yourself with the steps, get to work, and be patient. After you have developed your first visual network plan, there's an exercise I want you to complete. Take your plan and put it in front of you. Study what you've written for a few minutes. You have a stated objective, a list of activities, and a time frame. That's all it takes to tell a story. So I'm going to ask you to tell the story of the achievement of your own goal. Only you're going to tell the story in the past tense, as if your goal has already been achieved. In your story, pay attention to details. How long did it take to reach your goal? What did each step along the way feel like? Did you have to reevaluate your goal in the process of achieving it? What did you discover about yourself along the way that led to the successful achievement of your ambition? Keep your story simple. Pretend you're talking to a friend. Be enthusiastic. Be proud. Give your friend a step-by-step -step description of just how you did it. First I did this, then I did that, and this happened along the way, so here's how I took care of it, and so on. Now you're going to tell your story on tape to describe your success in sensory-rich detail with all the enthusiasm you can muster, as if it finally really happened. When you're done, you'll have a record of your success that you can refer to again and again for inspiration. When you play your story back for the first time, Listen very carefully to your descriptions. Did you falter in places? Was there a lack of conviction in your voice in certain areas? Did you hesitate, as though to tell yourself you really didn't believe that success was yours? Or were you self-assured and utterly convincing? If the first version of your story doesn't satisfy you, erase it and create another one. Do this over and over until you have a version that completely satisfies you with its richness of vision and inner strength. When you achieve your goal, you can use this same method of storytelling in pursuing another one. Always make sure that your story rings true and offers real inspiration to you when you hear it. Remember, don't be afraid to brag and relive the success you've already accomplished in your imagination. You've already taken an important step in mastering the science of self-discipline by learning how to turn your most important goals into step-by-step -step plans for achievement. Now comes the time to roll up your sleeves and learn how to put these plans into action. This is an exciting moment for you and a turning point in your quest for success. Up until now, you've learned how to prepare for achievement. Now you're going to learn how to actually tackle the hard, efficient work that is the bread and butter of achievement itself. Notice we said hard, efficient work, not just hard work. Hard work alone doesn't guarantee success. In fact, many unfortunate people spend a great deal of time working very hard and never get anywhere in spite of it. Making intelligent and efficient use of your time is of paramount importance in achieving your goal, especially when that goal may take years to achieve. In this session, you're going to learn how to manage your time and effort so efficiently that you won't waste one valuable moment in your journey to achievement. You'll learn how to find time in an already busy schedule to work on the micro-tasks that make up the stepping stones to your macro-purpose. You'll find out why what we call seasoning, a special way of looking at time, is so critically vital to your success. You'll learn how to actually quicken time, make hours seem like minutes, Weeks seem like days, and years seem like months. And you'll learn once and for all how to develop the do-it-now habit, allowing you to permanently overcome the world's number one cause of failure, procrastination. By the time you finish this session and complete the corresponding exercises in your study guide, you'll be equipped with a new attitude towards time and achievement, and you'll be ready to begin systematically putting your step-by-step -step plans into purposeful, disciplined action. Let's now begin exploring the fascinating principles of using and managing time that can make the difference between success and failure. To begin at the beginning, let's talk a little bit about the relationship between time itself and achievement. We all know that it takes time to accomplish something. Depending on what you'd like to accomplish, it may take a little bit of time or a great deal of time. The same goal can also sometimes be achieved in less time or more time, 
depending on how good a job you want to do in achieving it. Think about any small task you might be confronted with around the house. Let's say one of your doors is stuck and needs planing in order for it to open and close easily. There are lots of ways you could accomplish that task and lots of shortcuts you could take. But in order to do a really good job, you know you should measure the door and doorway opening. Figure out how much wood you need to remove, take the door off the hinges, and mount it on a sawhorse and plane it down until it reaches the right size. This approach may take longer than some others you can think of, but it's the best way to achieve your goal. And when the job is done properly, you know that door will never get stuck again. The person who takes the time to do the job right is the epitome of the self-disciplined achiever. Someone who has learned not to worry about time, but use it to its full potential to achieve a goal in the best way possible. None of your goals are going to be as simple as this one to accomplish, but the principle remains the same. To achieve with excellence, you're going to need a long period of time in which to allow your knowledge and skills to mature and grow. This is the concept of time that we call seasoning. Seasoning is a law of nature. All things take time to come to fruition. People, in their impatience to get what they want without going through this growing process, often end up stunting their own personal growth and making true success impossible. Shortcuts only lead to mediocrity and failure. Scientists, philosophers, artists, and statesmen have always recognized the importance of seasoning in accomplishing any goal. When asked by an impatient student how long it would take to become a master teacher, the Roman philosopher Epictetus replied, Nothing comes into being all at once, not even the grape or the fig. If you say to me now, I want a fig, I shall answer, that requires time. Let the tree first bring forth tender blossoms. Let the blossoms endure the weathering of the sun, wind, and rain. Let the tree then put forth its fruit, and finally, let the fruit ripen. Cybervision founder Steve DeVore recalls learning about seasoning the hard way. When I was five years old, he said, I planted a garden in my backyard. Because I didn't understand how seeds grew, I would go out and dig them up every day to see if they'd sprouted yet. I hardly watered them, and I didn't weed them regularly as I should have. Because I was so impatient and neglectful, my plants never got the chance to grow properly. And when harvest time came, my vegetables were pitifully small and undeveloped. I had a friend next door, a slightly older boy who understood the principles of gardening. He let his plants grow and ripen in their own time, helping them along with regular watering, fertilizing, and weeding. He enjoyed a bountiful harvest that summer, and I learned a lesson about patience and self-discipline. All great achievers not only understand the concept of seasoning, but they value it greatly. They know that success cannot be hurried. They know that to try to hurry it is to ruin it. They understand that every step along the road to achievement is a necessary one and a small achievement in itself. And they also know that getting there can and should be half the fun. Self-disciplined achievers are willing to pay the price of time to realize their ambitions. They are not intimidated by the thought of having to work and study for five, ten, even fifteen years. Their commitment to a goal is absolute, and their vision of success is unwavering. The self-disciplined achiever knows that if what he wants will take five years to achieve, the five-year effort will be worth it. He knows that those five years are going to pass anyway, and he has a choice about whether to spend them preparing for success or wasting the time thinking and dreaming about what he'd really like to do. For the self-disciplined achiever, there is no choice he'll gladly spend those five years working and studying to achieve his goal. Does several years seem like a long time to you? Think how fast the last five years of your life have gone by. What did you do during that time to make achievement possible? If you had been working steadily towards your goal all that time, you could have achieved it by now. Let's say you're 34 years old and your dream is to become an architect. You know it will take you six years of schooling and apprenticeship before you can get a good job with a respected architectural firm. But that means you'll be 40 years old by the time you reach your goal, and you feel you just can't wait that long. Stop and think. You're going to be 40 years old in six years whether you study architecture or not. 
And if you choose not to study it now, in six years, you'll be in the exact same position, wanting to be an architect and knowing it will take you six years to get there. Only by then, you'll have to work until you're 46 to achieve your goal. You can get there in six years by starting now, or you can choose to give up hope of ever getting there at all. If you really want to achieve your goal, six years won't seem like such a long time. As you'll find out later in this session, to the self-disciplined achiever, the six years will go by very fast. Impatient people want things to happen overnight. In the words of French philosopher Blaise Pascal, they anticipate the future as too slow in coming. And in being unwilling to devote hours of time to the kind of seasoning it takes to become accomplished at anything, they waste their lives by doing nothing at all, and they wonder why they always feel so unfulfilled. How many youngsters have you known who came home from a rock concert determined to learn to play the guitar? It looked easy when the group on stage was playing, so the youngster goes out and buys a guitar and takes his first few lessons. And all of a sudden, it becomes apparent that it's not easy. It's going to take years of hard work and effort to learn to play really well. So the youngster loses interest and gives up, bored with the tedium of practicing scales for hours. Yet the professional musicians he's watched have put in years of practice to get where they are and where the youngster would like to be. The great artist Pablo Picasso was once approached by an admiring woman in a restaurant. Having recognized him, she asked him to draw something, anything, on a napkin for her. She told him she'd pay him whatever he thought was fair, if only he would provide her with this impromptu work of art. Picasso agreed and spent five minutes drawing a picture on the napkin. When he was finished, the woman picked the napkin up in delight. How much did he want for the picture, she asked. Calmly, Picasso replied, ten thousand dollars. Dumbfounded, the woman began to argue with him that a picture drawn on a napkin in five minutes couldn't possibly be worth that much. But Picasso just smiled and said, Madame, it may have only taken me five minutes to draw the picture, but it took me forty years to learn how to draw it. Forty years. Does that seem like an interminable amount of time? To a master artist seeking the ultimate expression of his talent, a great scientist seeking a cure for disease, or an ambitious businessman trying to turn a small company into a Fortune 500 corporation, 40 years can seem to fly by overnight. To the dedicated self-disciplined achiever, time is nourishment for what he wants to accomplish. And that time is well spent, taking step after step in a continuous effort to achieve a specific goal. The achiever does not get sidetracked. Every day he concentrates on the micro-tasks that make up his macro-purpose. And each completed micro-task becomes a source of pleasure and a reward in itself. Top newscaster Eric Severide achieved his macro-purpose by actually ignoring it. Instead, he concentrated on the micro-purposes that would help him accomplish his goal. Severide tells the story in his own words. Once when I relinquished my job and income to undertake a book of a quarter of a million words, I could not bear to let my mind dwell on the whole scope of the project. I would have surely abandoned what has become my deepest source of professional pride. I tried to think only of the next paragraph, not the next page, and certainly not the next chapter. Thus, for six months, I never did anything but set down one paragraph after another. The book wrote itself. Years ago, I took on a daily writing and broadcasting chore that has totaled now more than 2,000 scripts. Had I been asked at the time to sign a contract to write 2,000 scripts, I would have refused in despair at the enormousness of such an undertaking. But I was only asked to write one, the next one, and that is all I have ever done. You can learn to work in micro-tasks by following your step-by-step -step plan for success and concentrating only on each step at a time. But you cannot learn seasoning as if it were a skill. Seasoning is an attitude that must be adopted and made part of your mental framework if you are able to achieve your lifelong purpose. It is crucial to self-discipline. More than that, it is actually at the heart of self-discipline. Besides seasoning, the self-disciplined achiever experiences something we call time quickening. 
Time quickening does not mean taking shortcuts, as you might first guess. Rather, it represents what happens to your perception of time as you become involved in the pursuit of your goal. Time quickening is an almost magical experience where time seems to disappear and you know you're in complete control of what you're doing. When it happens, you feel energetic, concentrated, and completely absorbed in your task. We've all experienced time quickening when we're doing something we particularly enjoy. For you it may have happened while you were reading an exciting murder mystery, watching an action-filled movie, playing a game of tennis, or even weeding a garden. Time quickening takes place whenever you find yourself completely engrossed in something to the point where nothing can distract you. The moments fly by so quickly you are just not aware of them. Past and future seem to disappear, leaving only you and the task you're engaged in. And after what only seems like minutes, you look up and notice in shock that a great deal of time has passed. Dreams are a reverse example of this phenomenon. Although you may often wake up feeling as if you've been dreaming a particular dream for hours, the whole thing has actually taken place in just a minute or two. The human mind has the amazing ability to alter our own perception of time. Once you learn to use this ability to your advantage, you will no longer be discouraged at the thought of having to spend so much time pursuing your goal. Scientific research has shown us how to trigger the experience of time quickening. You can actually learn to consciously create the sensation that time has stopped. You can do it by becoming single-mindedly and uninterruptedly involved in an activity for a significant period of time. Time quickening occurs when you surrender your attention and your senses to something outside of yourself. There are six steps you can and must take to experience the benefits of time quickening. Listen to them carefully and then try to recreate them, first with lesser tasks that may or may not be related to your goal, then with your actual micro-purposes. First, create or find a working environment that is free of distractions and potential diversions. Second, focus on doing one task at a time and stick with it until it is completed. Third, surrender yourself to the task at hand. Work hard and work well, and don't stop working until you have finished as much or more of the task as you started out to do. Fourth, plan to work uninterruptedly for a significant span of time, several hours if possible. Fifth, don't watch the clock as you work, and don't continually compare how much you've accomplished against how much you still have to do. Sixth and last, Stop working when your thinking becomes muddled due to fatigue. The first few times you try using these six steps, you may have a hard time following them all. But the more you practice, the easier it will get. And soon you'll notice that time seems to be flying by quicker and quicker every time you sit down to work. Time quickening makes work enjoyable and helps prevent the normal wear and tear of work on your mind and your nerves. It is the antidote to burnout and the key to maintaining a healthy emotional balance during long hours of effort. Time quickening will enable you to successfully complete the string of micro-tasks that over an extended period of time will take you closer and closer to the completion of your macro goal. And if your goal is years away, time quickening will make it seem to all happen so quickly that the illusion of overnight success will almost seem as if it's coming true. Using time quickening to follow a step-by-step -step plan for reaching a goal is one way to make that goal appear closer than it really is. But time quickening won't do you any good if you find you can't even get started on your micro-tasks. For most people, the biggest enemy of success is procrastination, postponing doing the work you know you must do in order to accomplish your ambitions. Like most people, you may think procrastination is relatively harmless, a trivial problem that you don't really need to worry about. But there's nothing trivial about a habit that is the cancer of self-discipline. Procrastination is an achievement killer, and unfortunately, the more often you succumb to it, the more habitual it gets and the harder it is to deal with. Procrastination is a serious deterrent to self-discipline, and it takes a serious effort to overcome it. In the next part of this session, we're going to explore some common reasons for procrastination 
and the most effective ways of overcoming the would-be achiever's most self-defeating habit. Psychological research tells us that chronic procrastinators fall into three groups. The first group fears failure. The second group fears success. And the third group uses procrastination as a way of rebelling against authority. Let's examine each of these groups to see how they turn their own psychological problems into reasons for procrastination. The first type of procrastinator may actually already be a successful business person or professional, but he or she is successful only up to a point. These people set such high standards for themselves that they live in constant fear of not being able to meet those standards. They cripple their own efforts to succeed by working at less than their capacity,